Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. Blue Jay blogger Ian Hunter joins us. He contributes to Daily Hive Toronto and Blue Jays Nation. But for the first time in a while, we also have a guest. Texas Longhorn infielder Bryce Reagan joins us. He talks everything from Robinson Cano, Coach Pierce, Texas's weird offseason workouts. But uh, let's get to it. Well, Ian, I'm pretty excited to talk about this baseball team because there's a lot, a lot of prospects on this team. But we gotta go. We gotta stick right now to the guys that are there currently. Russell Martin is obviously going to be the starting catcher if he's not traded. If they decide that. Nobody wants to take his contract, even if the Blue Jays eat money. So is Russell Martin the opening day starting catch for the Blue Jays? Are we going to see a Danny Jansen possibly sometime during the year? And where does he start? Um, Yeah, I'm kind of 50-50 on that. Uh, Russell Martin, is he's in the final year of his, uh, I think his $82 million contract. He's owed $20 million in 2019. Uh, the Blue Jays really tapered off of him at the end of last year and basically gave the reins to Danny Jansen, and he started the bulk of the games at home plate for for the Jays last year, and I can probably foresee that happening uh, going into opening day. Um, you know, the thing with Martin is is that $20 million contract, but still he's got a, quite a bit of value. He can still hit for power. Uh, he is an older guy, um, so he may not play the bulk of his games at catcher. He's shown some infield versatility. He can play at uh, third, second, shortstop, um, albeit not at an elite level. But if you need to plunk a guy at third base, uh, the Jays would definitely have to eat a lot of money on that on that contract. So probably ten to in the fifteen million dollar range. And if there is a team out there looking for like a veteran catcher who's, you know, really good defensively, a nice framer, probably not a bad pickup for something like five or four million dollars. And if the Blue Jays can net uh, like a B or C level prospect, I think they'd take that deal. And yeah, basically the Jays are turning the page there. Danny Jansen is the catcher of the future. Um, they also have Reese McGuire in the system who did play a few games last year at the big league level. He's more uh, kind of a, a defense first catcher, but I mean, that's that's fine to have in your backup. And uh, Luke Maley is also a, a backup catcher. But yeah, I would definitely say that Danny Jansen is probably on track to uh, crack the roster on opening day. That's exciting. Definitely exciting. So what's the yeah. comp for him, guys outside of the AL East that don't get to see you know, like we're Red Sox fans. We see the Blue Jays all the time. What is the comp for Danny Jansen? Like, what would you tell somebody who's never seen him play before? He plays like who? Um, yeah, I mean, I can't. Uh, I, like, I don't want to say Buster Posey, but just like this, he has the same skill set. Like, he's just a really great all-around catcher, like great defensively, pretty good framer. Uh, he's got a nice arm. He can hit for power, hit for average. Um, I Yeah, not in the Buster Posey tier, but that style of player maybe a few tiers down. I, that's what you can expect. Um, and it's weird because the Blue Jays have traditionally been a um, – they haven't developed a lot of catchers, but in the past they've been – 
power happy, you know, big, big swing, big strikeout guys, uh, lots of homers, but not really much contact and on base. And Danny Jansen definitely bucks that trend, which is, you know, fine by me because really you want a guy who's defensively sound first. And if they can give you anything on offense, then that's a plus in my mind. So, yeah. so first base, right? We're going to hop to first base. We've obviously solved catcher. Fun fact about your starting first baseman, I was there when Justin Smoke was, because I live in Texas, you know, it's it's a whole ordeal, but I live in Texas, I was there at the stadium when Justin Smoke was traded to the Mariners with Blake Bevan for Cliff Lee, that's just a weird tidbit about Justin Smoke that I have, but <laughs> that he looks like the opening day first baseman, it doesn't look like... There's really another option, another guy that's on on the last year of his deal. Is that a guy that's going to get moved? And what are the other options at first base? Yeah, there was a rumor out there that apparently the the Colorado Rockies had discussed um, trading for for Justin Smoke, and I mean, definitely makes sense for them. Uh, he's a big power guy. You put him in Coors Field, he could probably hit. I like easily uh, 35, 40 home runs. Uh, his home run numbers dipped last year, but really his slugging and on base numbers were, at, I think his on base was the best of his career last year. And um, yeah, he's on the final year of his contract. I believe he's owed $8 million in 2019. Unless, he, you know, the Blue Jays are presented a nice package. I think they probably hang on to him. And he's a uh, probably they dangle him as a trade bait at the July 31st non-waiver trade deadline. Waiting in the wings is someone like Rowdy Tellez, who uh, played in a handful of games for the Blue Jays last year. He's, again, another uh, slugging lefty first baseman. He's kind of had a quite an up and down career with the Blue Jays the last few years, but he uh, had a really uh, solid uh, 2017 in the minor leagues and he cracked uh, the roster last year, uh, put up some decent uh, power numbers. And I think he's maybe looking like the blue, the next uh, guy at first base for the Blue Jays in the next few years. Yeah. Roddy Roddy Tellez is a very, interesting guy because he does look exactly like that what's interesting to me about him is very similar to jansen are he wasn't a like first round pick wasn't a second round pick rowdy was a 30th round pick and jansen was a 16th round pick by by the blue jays so to see you guys actually making some good picks down the line is huge because obviously you know spoiler alert guerrero's on this team boba in the system but those are big-time guys. Those are first-round picks. Those are top-five picks. That's how those go. And if you look at how good teams are, they find steals. And the Blue Jays won't be as bad as people think. They're not going to be contending for anything, but they're not going to be bottom-of-the-barrel, bottom-five team, most likely. Finding these steals is huge. And I don't think Smoke makes it all the whole year. I think he may start opening day, and rowdy will get in there here and there but smoke will get traded at the deadline he's a very interesting guy like you said he's got power still and for a guy that can get picked up at the deadline and be a steve pierce type of player where he can just kind of hit in specific situations play okay defense that's a huge plus for a team yeah that's uh, that's probably a pretty good comp is is steve pierce and you know just the fact uh, he's a switch hitter as well so he had some versatility there he's always been praised by the blue jays pitchers as being a really uh a big target over there at first base pitchers love 
having smoke at first with that, uh, his ability to pick balls out of the dirt is, is awesome. So yeah, that, that just screams to me as someone, a contending team, they're looking to add a middle of the order bat, nice switch hitter, probably an American league team rather than a national league team. Um, and yeah, but for the most part, I would say that smoke does start, uh, opening day. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that as well. And it will, and it will move on and we'll move on to the middle of the infield. Two guys that kind of go hand in hand here are Guriel and Travis. I think both start opening day. Personally, I think uh, one will be at short, one will be at second. You can kind of fill in there. Guriel got a very good contract, a Chicago White Sox-esque contract. They've done it with multiple guys, including Chris Sale. They buy out their pre-arb years. They give them some good guaranteed money. If they don't pan out, then you know the player still gets paid and can retire. If they do pan out, then that once they get out of that long contract, out of their pre-arb years, they can go sign somewhere big like Chris Sale is going to be signing next year. Where do you see Guriel and Travis? Obviously, they have one of Austin's favorite players in the world, Bo Bichette, sitting in the system. Austin could talk more about him, but Guriel and Travis, will they be splitting second base, or are you going to see second base shortstop to start the year there? Yeah, that's probably how I would see that. Uh, going down is it Guriel at short and uh, Travis at, at second. Uh, the Blue Jays definitely answered a lot of questions by re- releasing Troy Tulowitzki from his contract. People figured that he might enter the mix as uh, and kind of complicate things on the infield, but you know the Jays cleared the deck there, and they also traded Ledmus Diaz as well. So you know their glut of infielders have kind of cleared things out, and Travis he. Played most of last year, and I think that was the first year where he stayed healthy the entire season. And he he's an okay bat. Like I mean, I he's had flashes of brilliance. I think there was a May of twenty seventeen where he hit like sixteen doubles in that month or something like that. And but for the most part, he's a you know serviceable guy on defense. Guriel is pretty interesting to me. Um, he will probably start at short, but he, he has kind of the arm. People are debating whether he has maybe an arm for an outfielder or potentially slide over to second base. I can, I can foresee him moving over to second. Um, his bat plays at either position, but to me, I feel, I feel like Bichette is the more interesting option at short and maybe you stick him there slide uh, Guriel over to second base and, and put Devin Travis on the bench or something like that uh, later in the season. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me too. I think that with the prospects coming up and with the Blue Jays not wanting to like, they don't like to spend money. They don't like to give up free control in their contracts. So you got to think that more veterans and guys with either arbitration or contracts like Guriel will actually start on the opening day. And they're athletes. Like you said, Guriel's an athlete, and with an outfield that is kind of set right now, we'll get to it later on, but there's going to be guys moving out in the next couple of years there, and the fact that you have Guriel locked up until, I think, at least 2023 uh, on, on a nice sweetheart deal, too. I don't think he gets higher than $6 million. It's a lot of control, and you can move him around. Yeah, it's he's very intriguing, and he had you know some great moments there. Uh, I think he started... 
he had like an 11 game multi-game hit streak to, to start his uh, major league debut, which was, I mean, more than anybody expected. And with the absence of guys, as I mentioned, like Tulowitzki and Diaz, um, the Blue Jays would love to have a young guy like Guriel just kind of take the reins and run with it. And he displayed that um, in in several spurts last year. So I feel like he's um, he's definitely got a space on this roster for the foreseeable future. The question is just, you know, where does he play? Is it short? Is it second? Is it, is it left field? Um, but I think if for the, for the interim, it's probably in the infield and it'll be um, short or second base. So we, we get to shortstop, right? And I absolutely, as Dave said prior, I love Bo Bichette. Just what I could sit and watch him at the plate all day. He's obviously not going to start in Toronto because, I mean, he doesn't have a single at-bat of AAA ball. I mean, I imagine that he'll do the same thing that Vlad did. He'll sp- spend a little time in, in Buffalo. But unlike Vlad, when will he be up? Will it be this year? Because Vlad's probably going to start in Toronto. I think we all know that, unless unless it's contract. When is Bo going to be up? Is it sometime this year? Is it July, once you know you get past all the get past the contract leap? Or is it next year? Yeah, that's that's something I've wondered myself. I feel like 2019 might be a little bit too early um, for Bo. I mean, he he killed it in Double A this year. He hit uh, let's take a look, 43 doubles. Um, and you always what you always wonder when a guy hits a batting a minor league batting title. Uh, in 2017, his first full season in the minors, you wonder, okay, is he, how is he going to follow that up? And how, like, is he going to suffer a sophomore slump? And many, many hitters often do. You can argue actually Bichette had a better year last year. Um, and I, you, the Blue Jays are being like very meticulous about their prospects. They're not pulling guys up like Vlad from double A, although, you know, the fan base would have loved to see that happen. They really want to graduate their prospects, make sure they conquer one level and then move them forward eventually to the major leagues. So uh, at this point, I feel like Bichette has conquered double A and he'll start the year at triple A with the Bisons next year. And if he's just tearing the cover off the ball and the Blue Jays, somebody on the on the big league staff suffers an injury and there's an opening at shortstop, I think maybe they do take a look at, at Bichette and bring him up early because really it's, he's working in tandem with, with Vlad. Like if the blue Jays are going to be in contention, it, the, Vlad and Bo are going to drive the bus. So you want those guys being the one, two in that lineup. Uh, but ultimately I, I think 2019 might be a little bit too early for Bo. So I would probably peg him as 2020, uh, maybe he's a September call up next year, but uh, yeah, unless there's a, a catastrophic injury to someone, eh, I, I don't think uh, Bichette makes it up or early next year. This this uh, system is very curious because there is so many sons of former major leaguers in it. I mean, Biggios, Clemens, Bichette, Guerrero's. It is absolutely insane to see all these names. Even Gurriel's got blood. You know, I mean, Yuli's in Houston, obviously. Yeah, I don't know whether, like I felt at the first few, you're like, okay, maybe that's a coincidence. And then it starts to add up to like five and six guys. And you're like, is this by design? Like, was the front office, were they targeting these guys 
for a reason. And I, I think it kind of makes sense because a lot of these guys, uh, I, I did speak to Casey Clemens last year and he basically said he, he came with like built in knowledge from his dad. Like when a lot of these guys get to, uh, certain levels in the minor leagues, they get a little starstruck and they're not sure what to expect. And when they get to the major leagues, it's just, you're an aus you're an awestruck because it's something you've never seen before. But if you're, if you've grown up around that environment, like someone like Casey Clemens has, or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Bo Bichette, it's just, it's second nature and you can just focus on your job. Uh, so I think it, for them, maybe the front office has targeted these guys because they know they have an, an added bonus. Uh, but I think ultimately the, they're looking for the best player available. And if they do have that experience or that in their bloodline, then it's just a bonus. But yeah, it is kind of curious to see how many sons of former late major leaguers they've picked up uh, as of late. You said Casey Clemens and Dave already knows I'm over here. Just absolutely. No, just I know. Cheesing. I know where this is going. Like yeah. Dave could probably hear me smile from the other side. Like we just we just got off the phone with the with the Texas Longhorn Bryce Reagan. So hearing you talk to a guy like Casey Clemens is pretty awesome. Yeah, man, he's a he's a really uh, a really fun guy to talk to. He sound he, the thing he prided himself most on when I spoke to him was his defense, and I think when he had maybe one or two errors all last season at first base. So he's. Um, he like a really, really solid defensive first baseman for sure. Well, that's awesome. Uh, Dave, hit Vlad. Uh, my guy, Vlad. I, I Honestly, I was just going to save him to the end. But no, so third base, I mean, you have Brendan Jury on the contract for a couple, three more years. Nice arbitration. But he gets pushed to the side. You talked about graduating prospects in the Blue Jays system. Well, Vlad, Vlad just done everything. He was the minor league player of the year. He hit 400 in double A, close to 400 in triple A. Austin, credit to Austin for looking this up. He had more walks than strikeouts this year in the minors. He's an unbelievable baseball player. He might be better than his dad when it's all said and done. He's your starting third baseman, of course. Is he your franchise third baseman? Or when he gets to UFA in five, six, seven years, whatever it may be, do the Blue Jays get cheap and not sign him? Yeah, that's um, that's interesting. Another question is whether he's even going to stick at third base. That's right. Um, I was going to ask if he was going to. Yeah, play. if he doesn't jump over to first. I was going to ask about Bo too. You know, there's a lot of questions where, but whether Bo can play short. You know, you wonder if this left side of the infield, prospect wise, number one and two, at some point shift over to the right side and wind up playing first and second. Right. The the thing about Vlad, um, in particular, I mean, he's got a really strong arm, so. I, I, if you can keep him on the infield and he's not a liability, then I think the Blue Jays would prefer to keep him there. Um, you know, he's a, a bit of a bigger bodied uh, third baseman, uh, to put it lightly. So many around the game have questioned whether he has the durability to play at the hot corner and probably down the line. And he, he shifts over to, to first base. But yeah, just the fact that he's got such a solid arm, I, I think you keep him there. And as far as his future, um, yeah, I've had some people ask me whether the Blue Jays should just kind of try and buy out a few of his arbitration years right now and just, you know, sign a sign a, a, bit, a giant contract before he even hits the major leagues. And from a front office perspective, of course, you want to do that because you want to lock him in, buy out those arb years, save yourself a little bit of money down the line. 
But then from the player's perspective, I mean, this guy is, I looked at his fan projections and he's projected to have like a five win season next year as a rookie, which is, I think it was like the 15th best. He's projected to have the 15th best position player season in 2019, which was around like Aaron judge territory as a rookie. And that's also accounting into the fact that he might not get, he probably isn't going to get called up until mid April. So it's just like, I'm still trying to wrap my head around all these things. Um, I think if he isn't a superstar, it, it, it's going to feel like a disappointment in Toronto, but from everything that I've seen, everything that I've heard, all the experts, scouts, everyone, they just, they praise his hitting ability and he has more patience than his father. Like, as you mentioned, he, he drew more walks than he struck out. Like his, his plate recognition is just ridiculous. And his bat speed is second to none. You put those two together and it's like, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here before he even gets called up, but it's almost like he's on a hall of fame track with, with those kinds of skills. You just hope he stays healthy enough uh, to have a long and, uh, and uh, fruitful career. Is he going to be the opening day starter or are they still going to just grind him out down there in AAA to start the year? Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. I, they're going to game the system, of course, for the, to get that seventh year of service time. Uh, someone asked me on Twitter today, actually, they said, when is what's like the day we can circle on our calendar? Um, because I, I think I can't remember the exact number of days. I think it was 172 days is a year of service time. So if the Blue Jays wait until until uh april 11th um they could call him up and without penalty for that extra year so i think that's he won't make the opening day if he does i will be really surprised so i i think it's probably brandon drury um so long as he's healthy but i would give it probably three weeks into the 2019 season and vlad will be in toronto and then that means that for people that don't know he can still be under team control for an extra year, basically. Yeah. So if they call him up opening day, uh, he would be only, there's only six years of, uh, of team control, but if they wait, um, that extra, whatever it was, 15 days, they get a, an additional, a seventh year of control. So when you have a player of this kind of caliber, you want to do that from a front office perspective, because you, like if you're going to lose him an extra year, that's that's going to look really bad on you. You want to keep him in Toronto as long as humanly possible. Like ideally you want to sign him to a contract extension, but you kind of have to go into it assuming that you only get those seven years. So you've got to maximize it rather than only get six. Well, and, there's and they two, just did this. Oh yeah, go ahead, Galston. There's there's two there's two ways that this goes. You can either go the Acuna route, which is the way that we're talking about, in the fact that you know you wait. You wait for this kit, and you wait for the that those 15 days, and you bring the kit up. Or you go the way that the Red Sox did and make the mistake of bringing Mookie Betts up before that day. And because of that, the Red Sox lost an extra year of Mookie Betts. Yeah, and I mean, especially for the Blue Jays, like, there's no, there's no advantage, really, to bringing him up on opening day. They're not planning on contending in 2019. That two weeks is not going to make or break the Blue Jays season. And from a business perspective, it just doesn't make sense. Um, I think everyone, the fan base would love to see him there. 
And just, you know, when you have a player of that caliber and this amount of hype surrounding him, you want to see him as soon as humanly possible. But I, for the long term, is just not the right decision for the franchise. So they absolutely should wait um, that the, the two or three weeks to bring him up. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, Guriel, they kind of did it with him when they just bought out the seven years and now he's on a seven year contract. And obviously Guerrero is not going to take a $22 million deal for seven years, but he is going to be there for seven years at least. And Toronto will have a very bright spot to look at through their, their rebuild here. Moving along to the outfield, you have a lot of people under control here, a lot of people in the contracts, a lot of people with that kind of like, you know, they can if they wait a couple weeks, they can get the seven years if if it pans out, kind of similar to a Guerrero. Who do you think is going to be on the opening day roster? Personally, I think, and I think Austin and I were talking about, and I know we're kind of on the same page here, where it's going to be Pilar, Hernandez, and uh, Grichik, Grichik out there yep. as left, right, center, wherever it may be. Well, Pilar's going to be in center, but that's probably what's going to be. Is it going to end up like that, though, trade deadline at the end of the year, though? Pilar... Like we talked about before, you were saying he was almost not even tenured to begin with. He's on the team. He's only got two years left, and so does uh, Rondal. So those two guys, do they get moved now? Do they get moved next year? Hernandez is going to be on this team for a while, and then who fits in for those slots afterwards? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I mean, the Jays had like a ton of outfielders play last year. Um, Dwight Smith Jr. is kind of a interesting option. He's a, a left-handed bat, had some really solid numbers in the minors last year. I don't know if he profiles uh, long-term as, a, as an everyday outfielder for the Blue Jays. He's really, to me, he's more like a, a fourth outfielder, but he's someone who I could see cracking uh, the opening day roster. Uh, Anthony Alford's one name who's been um, talked about for quite a few years uh, in the Blue Jays farm system. I think he was a guy who uh, turned down a football scholarship. Uh, uh, so he's a, a great athlete. Um, he, he's a center fielder. So he's basically the next Kevin Pillar. Um, and I think the reason why someone like Pillar has uh, remained in center field for the Blue Jays for so long, I mean, he's a nice defensive player, but at this point in his career, most people know what he is. He's not really a big on base guy, doesn't slug very much. Um, he's a pretty good base runner, though, can steal you some bases. But to me, Anthony Alford is a, a player who has a l- lot more intriguing skill set, um, can hit for average and a, and a little bit of power. So he's someone, if he can stay healthy, because Alford's just had been riddled with injuries uh, the last few years. So if he can stay healthy, you know, maybe he's someone who comes up uh, mid season and, and slides over into center field. Uh, McKinney is a really nice, it was a really nice pickup. The Jays made there in that trade uh, with the Yankees kind of profiles as a nice uh, top of the order bat left-handed. Uh, you know, you definitely need that in your lineup for sure. And uh, to me, Gritchick is a, is an interesting player. I mean, I realize he's only has two more years left of team control, but uh, I feel like he just uh, hit the tip of the iceberg last year. He made some adjustments in his batting stance and uh, started hitting for power. He had some of the Blue Jays' best uh, exit velocity numbers and hard hit rates uh, in the entire team. 
And then um, Teoscar Hernandez, you mentioned, he's someone who uh, has some really good power numbers, but he struggled uh, really bad in the, in the outfield defensively last year, like to the point where he almost looked unplayable. He would just take very strange routes to balls and he tried to barehand this one ball in Yankee Stadium. It just rolled through his legs. Like it was just uh, a comedy of errors in the outfield with him. So I think he probably turns it around and he's at the very least, he's a, a fourth outfielder for the Blue Jays. So if you're asking uh, opening day for me, I think it probably sticks as uh, McKinney, Pilar, Grichuk. And then on the bench, you you have Hernandez and probably Dwight Smith Jr. as your uh, fourth and fifth outfielders. Well, that was a very detailed description. I'm glad I asked. That's why we that, like uh, it. Yeah, right? That was uh, as good as it's going to get. You I can mean, hear you the disappointment much... in Dave's voice, by the way. Yeah, you can. But you can pretty much hit the nail on, your head, on the head there with everything. And, I mean, anyone that follows the team, I'm sure, agrees. And from an outside perspective you know, being just, you know, an MOB guy, but also we're Red Sox fans, like we said before. And, you know, it just makes sense. And obviously, you know, the Blue Jays do things a little bit, bit differently than other teams, as you can see through their prospects coming through the system and some of the moves they've made over the years, you know, the R.A. Dickey deal being one of them that was a little, you know, a little too gung-ho, if you will. But that makes sense. And, you know, it's going to be a slow process here. Yeah, they're in the outfield to me, like the, the interesting, the really interesting prospects and the guys in the farm system are in the infield, uh, not necessarily in the outfield. So like everybody knows about Vlad, everybody knows about Bo, but you know, the, the, the other interesting names are someone like Nate Pearson, who's a, a starting pitcher and Eric Pardino, who's a, uh, a really young pitcher who's making his way up the ranks. And then, uh, you know, Kevin Biggio, who's someone who could either be an infielder or potentially even an outfielder. The Blue Jays um, had him in the Arizona Fall League. He got some reps in the outfield. And yeah, you just, it just goes on and on. So after that, like, and then you had, I guess Jansen at this point almost isn't a prospect. He's like, almost, he's establishing himself as a big leaguer. So, uh, yeah, there's a, a lot of turnover with the Blue Jays in the next few years, but uh, a really exciting uh, a really exciting farm system to draw from. What we're going to do now is we're going to talk about the pitching. Okay, we know two for sure. We, I've, there's, I mean, there's two guys, obviously, that I think everybody that watches baseball likes. I mean, Stroman being one of them, I love watching Stroman pitch. Watching Stroman pitch is a lot like watching Chris Archer pitch. Not from not even from a pitching perspective, just the character that they have on the mound, the way they carry themselves, the confidence that they have in themselves. There's there's something to be said for that, and that's pretty impressive. But you also have a guy like Aaron Sanchez. So what happens with these guys? I know that they're, the Blue Jays aren't in win-now mode, obviously. Do these guys get sold off? And at the end of the day, who's the one through five on opening day? Yeah, in regards to... Uh... Stroman and Sanchez, I mean, the Jays have been rumored to be getting a lot of action from other teams inquiring about them. And from the Blue Jays perspective, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for them to trade those guys right now because they're definitely at their low point. Both Sanchez and Stroman coming off of injury marred seasons, but they have had success in the past. Uh, So to me, I want like 
I think 2019 is a make or break year for both of these guys moving forward. And the organization will probably have a lot of answers as to whether they want to extend either maybe one or both of them. I would probably, if you're going to do it, I would probably, I'd put my money on uh, Stroman. He's shown that he can throw 200 inning seasons. He's done that on two occasions. Um, and uh, meanwhile, Sanchez is the one who kind of has the higher upside. Yeah, he won an AL ERA title in 2016, but he's basically missed the last two years due to injuries. Uh, so, uh, but I would pencil them in as one and two. Uh, on the Blue Jays starting rotation for opening day. I still feel like they're probably going to do a little bit of dumpster diving uh, uh, in the free agent pool and probably try and bring in a a veteran on like a one or a two year deal. Um, I've always wondered if someone like Gio Gonzalez might be interested in coming to Toronto. He's a really durable starter uh, lefty. I mean, he's not quite the Gio of the uh, Oakland A's days, but I mean, at this point the Blue Jays, really just need some guys to chew up innings. And I can't think of anybody who could do that more than, uh, than Gio. And if he has a solid first half, the Blue Jays flip him for a, for a prospect or two. So probably one or two guys. I think, I feel like the Jays are going to need to, to fill out their rotation. And then you've got, uh, Ryan Brocky, who had a really nice rookie season for the Blue Jays last year. Um, with 17 starts, he had a 3.87 ERA. He's a really, really nice uh, middle of the rotation arm. And then, you know, maybe you fill it out with someone like a uh, Sean Reed Foley or Thomas Pannone or hey, Sam, that's my guy. Or uh, or Sam Gavilio. Like either one of those three. You know, the Blue Jays have. I guess the one thing you could really criticize them in the last few years is their pitching depth has not been all that great. But they've worked. I would say the last year and a half to kind of really acquire a lot of pitching process. Uh, so as far as your starting rotation opening day, uh, my prediction is probably Stroman Sanchez, uh, Baraki, uh, Reed Foley, potentially, and then a free agent of some kind. Um, you know, someone like a bargain, a bargain starter, you know, someone like the Blue Jays signed Jaime Garcia. And I think it was June or February of last year. That didn't turn that signing didn't turn out, but they a similar type deal like that, like something in the maybe the seven to eight million dollar one year deal range. So basically what they're going to do is they're going to do what Texas did a couple years ago when they signed Andrew Kashner and everybody's like, why? Why would you sign Andrew Kashner? Well, what you do is you go out and you flip him at the deadline if he has a half decent season. If he doesn't, what did you waste? Nothing. You weren't competing that year. You weren't doing anything like that. It's you're basically gambling with only upside yeah and and this market i mean you can the jays can afford to wait they're probably just gonna wait out the market and let it go like because they do have guys who could fill out the rotation uh but i don't think if they took the guys that ended last year and they roll that into 2019 i don't think they make it through the entire season uh you've got to have depth and veteran starters would would definitely help so they're going to wait out the market i could see it going down to the wire like you know end of january and they they finally sign a a starter um 
you know, Bartolo Colon or, or what have you. I mean, just anybody just to, to fill out some innings. And then, and then you can, that means you can push your prospects down, maybe give Reed Foley or uh Pannone or Barucky some time. I actually, I think Barucky probably sticks, but those other guys, maybe they get a little more seasoning in the minor leagues and then you bring them up uh, if there's an injury or what have you. You need guys yeah. that eat innings and the biggest, uh, you know, when Dave and I talk about eating innings, James Shields is a big one. Because all the guy do is just throw innings. It doesn't matter if they mean anything or anything like that. You need James Shields. You need Bartolo Colon's guys in there to basically be the bridge to let these guys develop. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good suggestion. Yeah, James Shields. I hadn't even thought of that. He's got. I mean, he's pitched. He survived in the American League East uh, during his Tampa Bay days, and um, yeah, he's capable of throwing thirty plus starts in a year. Um, and not quite the pitcher he once was, but yeah, I would definitely, I'd hand him the ball every fifth day because you could probably count on him going at least five or six innings. And, um, that's all, all you can really ask if you're a manager. Yeah. I mean, you're playing with house money at this point when you sign one of these guys late and one of those older guys, like you said, a cologne, someone maybe even bring in tickets like a cologne, people will come and watch just for him. And it's easier to do that with the starting rotation then there's the bullpen and obviously we kind of just touched on a second ago the pitching and pitching depth is the weakest point of this team prospects included i mean even prospects that are you know looking have a big upside like a nate pearson they're two or three years away so when you look at guys like that well who's going to come and rescue them you traded away a troubled closer that you've had ozuna he was traded to houston but you didn't give him up for nothing. You got a closer back. You got Ken Giles, an absolute mental case. But, you know, if you can keep it on the wraps and you don't really need to worry about him being clutch at any point because, like we talked about before, we're not we're not contending out here in, in uh, Tampa, Tampa, in Toronto yet. But the bullpen seems to be a little bit of a jumbled mess. I look at it and I see Giles as your, your closer, your closer. I think Biagini should just be sent to the moon. I think he's awful. <laughs> Um, the first rocket out, obviously Tom Padone's from my hometown, love him as a player. Absolutely amazing guy, you know, nice and humble as they come. I think he'll be up and down throughout the system in the year. He'll probably start out down there at the Bison and AAA, but just like he was this year, he'll be up and down. But how the hell is this bullpen round out for your seven, eight and nine? Is it just wait and see if like a Danny Barnes or a, you know, Tapera like, really kind of just jumps out at you or is it go and get a random closer and you know right before the season starts how does this pan out in the bullpen well yeah closer uh will be giles i've i've heard the jays have gotten some bites on him uh, as as a trade chip this off season but i don't think now is the time uh to train him because the the reliever market is flooded you're not nearly going to get as much as you you could at the uh july 31st trade deadline next year i think that's probably when the blue jays flip uh ken giles but for the for the meantime he's a you know solid closer back there eighth inning guy is probably ryan tapera uh the blue jays dabble with him kind of in the setup role closer role last year didn't really do so good in closer uh, he's had some of his best numbers as a, as a seventh eighth inning guy he's got like a 97 98 mile an hour fastball so he probably slots in as the eighth inning guy um 
And then as in your seventh inning role, I think it's probably still to be determined. Um, last year, the Blue Jays really waited out the market. They signed a lot of relievers late. They got uh, Sung Wang Oh, John Axford, and Tyler Clippard. I think they were all, all signed in like January, February, and they ate a lot of innings for the Blue Jays, and the Blue Jays traded two or three of those guys for um, two contenders. So that's probably what the Jays do again this year is just wait things out, um, like what they're going to do with the starting pitching market and just fill, fill out their bullpen that way. So someone like a Tyler Clippard, I don't think he comes back necessarily, but yeah, they would, that guy probably profiles as your, like your six in your seventh inning. And then you just fill out the, the rest of your bullpen with your, with your prospects or your guys who have big league experience, like Danny Barnes, as you mentioned, I think Tim Mays is probably the lefty in this bullpen next year. Um, and then maybe, who knows down the line someone like Sean Reed Foley I mean, he's got a really big arm nice velocity on him some people have talked about maybe he profiles more as a reliever than a starter so perhaps that happens down the line but yeah as far as filling out the bullpen it's probably just you know veteran guys uh, in their late 20s early 30s and that's how they that's how they finish off their uh, relievers yeah I mean that makes sense and just like you named about three guys that they signed late last year that they, I believe, flipped uh, all of them um, throughout the year. And guys that can do that with, again, you know, Josh Tomlin, Sergio Romo, you know, uh, Ryan Madsen, those type of guys, not big name guys anymore, but can still throw innings for you. And a team will find upside for them. You know, Sergio Romo was an opener this year. Ryan Madsen pitched in the World Series, although not well, but he did pitch there. And a few years ago, Josh... Josh Tomlin was, was going to be the next big thing in Cleveland. So guys like that, that tier that, you know, you kind of talked about there. And I think that's how the bullpen does round out, like you said. And that's a big work in progress. It's probably the biggest work in progress on the team is the bullpen because Giles will be going in a couple of years either through. I don't think he walks a free agency. He'll trade him before them, but he'll be gone. And then this team will be ready to start to contend in two or three years. So that's when decisions what to meet me then. The only last position on this team that we haven't discussed yet and i'll leave it to austin because he kind of brought it up earlier when we were talking about it it's an interesting position and like what you do with it and that's your dh with morales kindris is definitely a guy that woke up in the wrong era of baseball i mean we don't value guys that don't play defense anymore at this point yeah he's really you know the the days of the hit only dh or pretty much dead like now the dh is basically used to get position players off their feet and kind of rotate through like the the days of the david ortiz's and edgar martinez are are gone right so um the blue jays were kind of it was really a a strange move at the time when they signed him to a three-year deal um because basically it was essentially to replace Edwin Encarnacion. And, you know, you're, you were taking a step down offensively, but the Blue Jays only uh, committed 33, I think it was 33 million total to, to Morales over three years, which in, in actuality is not really that much money. Uh, it's just the fact that he doesn't play a position and you, he's clogging up that one roster spot. But 
for what he does, I mean, he turned his season around. Like there were people talking about the Blue Jays should just release him and his remaining, you know, one plus uh, year on his contract. And he actually turned his season around last year. He had some of the some of the Jays' best offensive numbers. And the problem is, is even if he hits the cover off the ball in the first half, like you are limited, you have an extremely limited trade market. Like you're not trading Morales to an NL team because he doesn't play a position and you're only trading him to an AL team and you've only got a handful of contenders. So you just kind of have to ride out that last year of the deal. And I like, I don't think it's going to be a Tulowitzki situation where they just let go of him, but it's, yeah, he's a very, he's kind of emblematic of the, of the old era of baseball, like five years ago. He's the pre-war era basically before. Yeah. That's like, that's the best way I can describe it. The pre-war era to where we didn't basically value defense at that point. Now you have to be able to play defense. Otherwise you're not going to be on a roster. DH is like you just said, are, is for basically people to get off their feet. Well, the other thing too is like, not that I'm picking it. We're picking on Morales here, but He's one of the slowest base runners it in the league. It is incredible. He has no, he's lightning. He's speed. lightning. What, what are you guys talking about? He's yeah. Lightning. So like you combine Women him, pools, man. If, oh. if combine Morales with Justin Smoke, who's also you know very slow footed, and it's just like you are definitely seeing a, a change in the game where you have to be valuable in all facets of the game. Like yes, Morales has tremendous exit velocity, some of the best numbers in the AL the last couple of years. But if you can't make it to from first to third on a, on a ball to the outfield, then, then what's the point? And if you don't add anything defensively, then what's the point? Like you've got other guys out there who may not be all that flashy and can't hit 30 home runs, but if they can field a position capably and, you know, have a, they're able to run the bases, then those players are suddenly more valuable than a guy who can hit 30, 30 plus home runs. I don't know if this is a bold prediction, but I think that the blue Jays will, will like put the slowest lineup card out there. At least one game this year, it'll include like Martin Morales smoke, even Vlad. I mean, Vlad's not the quickest of feet. Like that is, that is just slow. It's incredible. If you yeah, if you go through you go on Baseball Savant and they have uh, like a sprint speed leaderboard, and you can go by position by position, you can see who has like the fastest first baseman, slowest, etc. Uh, the Blue Jays have a lot of slowest players in the league in that category. Um, they're they're slowly changing the tide, but when you've got a bunch of you know thirty plus infielders uh, in a DH, it, it makes for a very slow team. So. I think that's another thing where the Blue Jays are trying to get more versatile. They're, they were known as a, a very slug-happy team, and they're just kind of like, well, whatever. We don't need to run the bases because we had home runs all the time, but it's those home runs come in waves, and if you're not hitting home runs, then you it, you struggle to create offense. So that's why they're kind of trending more towards guys like a Randall Grichuk, who's has some power, but he's also really great defensively and and a really good base runner. So I think they're trying to get away from players like a smoke and Morales. And when all those guys deals are up at the end of this year, it's, it's going to make for a, a, an even more 
the stark and much different Blue Jays team in 2020. And, you know, this team's very, and they were extremely base to base. And now they're like halfway base to base when it comes to running. But one thing about Morales, I'll give him credit. He is a very streaky guy. He went on that amazing streak this past year where he hit like seven home runs in seven straight games or something like that. And he only started 130. He only started 108 games this year, hit 21 home runs at 249. So he will add value at the deadline. He is the perfect guy to go and sit on the bench of the Yankees or of Houston or of Tampa Bay late in the season to pinch hit and play situational baseball so in the playoffs. It is very restricted and it's only AL and you're not going to get a, a top blue chip prospect for him. But I do. I don't think he ends up the team with the team, you know, come trade deadline this year because, and even if it's after the waiver, you know, the non-waiver and it's and you know like a Verlander situation where it's later in the, in the season a little bit, but he does have some value to it as he wasn't even a negative WAR player technically, but you're right. The days are over of, of, of a one-dimensional hitter because no Dave Ortiz's are walking through the doors recently where you're going to bat 330 and play a DH because. Even Morales never really hit over 300 in his career, minus one year. So I think he had some value. I think he's there opening day, obviously. I think he's your DH opening day, and he bats, you know, four, five, six in the lineup. But I think he gets moved at some point because I think if he has a halfway decent year like he did this past year, he does have some value in the last year of a deal. Yeah, he's still, for all his struggles last year, he still had a 108 WRC plus which is kind of surprising. Like the fact that he was nearly one foot out the door of the blue Jays, he was hitting below 200 and to finish the season with, you know, 21 homers is a pretty impressive feat. I feel like he's probably more of an odd August trade candidate. Um, he is a switch hitter. Um, there's probably a contender who would love to have that bench on their bat. I mean, you know, maybe it's someone like a, it's like a Matt Stairs situation where you just, you're basically just acquiring him to be a pinch hitter, not like a Steve Pierce situation where he is getting a lot of playing time at first base, but there's probably somebody who, t- who takes a look at him. And the fact that he's owed $11 million, probably whatever is remaining, the Blue Jays would, ju- would just pay it um, just so they could get a prospect or two back in return. So yeah, he's, he, he could probably get moved this year. All right. So last thing. Do you have any bold predictions for the 2019 Blue Jays season? Let's get the hot takes rolling. Um, Vlad Guerrero will be good. Is that a <laughs> is that hot? That's like, <laughs> is that no, hot? That's, that's like the that's the coldest take there yeah, is. Give me, one, give me like a JT Real Muto ends up on this team or something. No. Give me something good. Um, yeah, that would I I'd love to see that happen. I think I don't know if it's a hot take, but I think they win 80 plus games next year. You think like, they? I don't. They sit in that like Seattle territory where Seattle usually is prior to this year to where they sit like the 81, 82, 83 range. Yeah, yeah. I think they're going to fight for 500 until they trade away their whole team. I think if you go to when they start making moves, either whether it be like a week before the trade deadline or, you know, a quarter way through the season, they will be a 500 team. I think they will contend for that 500 slot and be a Seattle-esque team. Yeah, it's like taking it's the Blue Jays before prior to 15 and 16 when they were like the quintessential 500 or just barely a f- above 500 team. I think that's probably the kind of ball they, they play next year. Um, I don't think they're going to be as bad as everybody thinks they're going to be. Um, and just the fact that you're adding 
you know, basically an MVP caliber bat to this lineup in the form of Vlad Guerrero Jr. I think that helps, can only help their win total. Um, so that's basically the boldest prediction I have. I just feel like 2019 is going to be very unpredictable aside from maybe Vlad Guerrero Jr. So uh, they're going to be a really exciting uh, and young team to watch. And hopefully we'll kind of get a, a better sense of what to expect from this club over the next few years. Because ever since their playoff runs in 15 and 16, they've kind of been, uh, you know, trudging through the swamp here and like shipping out all their old veteran players from those teams and trying to figure out what they have in these, in these new prospects. So um, it is a changing of the tide and it's, I think fans understand that it's going to, it, those first few years are, are pretty painful, but you look to like Atlanta, for example, and Philadelphia and they, they turn things around fairly quickly. So you could see, uh, a playoff position for this team in the near future. I don't think it's 2020 or 21, but maybe 2022. So uh, 20 or 2019 will be a, a building year for sure, and it should be very exciting. Yeah, I feel, like, I feel like I'm the only Yankees fan in New Hampshire. Yeah, you, you <laughs> honestly might be. So speaking of New Hampshire, you grew up the lone Yankee fan of New Hampshire. It should be your Twitter, Twitter handle. And... Yeah. Who did you idolize like growing up, like baseball wise? Who'd you model your game after? Like when I was growing up, you know, obviously we had any, I always picked Trot, Trot Nixon when I was growing up. I yeah. loved the way he played, you know, just a dirty, a dirt dog out there in right field, just didn't care about his body. Like who was your guy that you modeled yourself after? If anyone. Um, I mean, when I was, when I was a young kid, I always loved uh, Robinson Cano when he was in the Yankees. Yep. But uh, I mean, yeah, as I kind of got older, I don't, I don't think there's really one player. I kind of just, looked at certain guys who were having success in the game and just took like a little piece at a time and uh, tried to mimic that. That's, yeah, that makes sense. That's funny because like Dave and I, before the show, we were like, oh, he's a Yankee fan. You know, he basically plays short. He's probably yeah. going to say Jeter. And then Cano, the Cano like deal is so refreshing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was my guy. I'm not sure why, but yeah, I mean, he's a pretty good reason to have. He was a defensive Decent defensively at the time, but still got pop and definitely did back then. Yeah, just so smooth. Yeah. So three years, three years at your high school in New Hampshire, you go to this IMG Academy. I'm going to have you kind of explain to us what this academy is for the guys that don't know what it is, but they're boasting alumni like legends like Joe Maurer, Jose Fernandez, Josh Hamilton, McCutcheon, Votto. It just goes on and on. Like, uh-huh. Kind of explain to us what it is and how you even get in. <laughs> Uh, so it's really just, it's, it's a high school, a private high school, but it's, it's all athletes there. So it's, you know, athletes go in and it's just, uh, you know, you do your school in the morning or afternoon for some kids, but I'd have about like, I'd take a few classes in the morning. Then it was like baseball for like six hours. So it was just, it was just more focused around your sport than, uh, than not. So it sounds like a, like a college, like what you're doing now as a freshman. Did you have to like apply to IMG or did they call you saying, hey, like we're really, you know, we really like your work and your work ethic and your grades. Do you want to come be a part of this? Uh, I was actually at East Coast Pro my uh, the summer going into my senior year. Okay. And there was, there was like an IMG uh, recruiter there. And yep. he, he was talking to my dad during all the games. So, I mean, he just brought it up. He was like, you want to go here? And I honestly didn't know anything about it. And I just Googled it. And I was like, yes, I definitely want to go here. 
Yeah. No, I mean, a quick Google search for anyone that doesn't know and might be sitting home and be like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Just Google who went there, not just for baseball, but for any sport, really. I mean, yeah. anything from tennis to golf to baseball, doesn't it doesn't really matter. So the scout was there, you know, checking you out and asked for that. How early did you get your first college offer? Was it in high school, like in public school where you were before, or was it when you went to the academy? Um, it was it was the summer after my freshman year, so going into my sophomore year. Of high school. At, yeah, I was at some showcase, and it was a uh, small school called Xavier in Ohio. <laughs> uh, yeah, never heard of it. They probably <laughs> he tried to downplay it. Yeah, try to downplay. So you're a 14, 15 year old kid, and a scout from Xavier comes up. Like, are you shitting your pants, just being like, "Oh my god," or are you just like, "Oh yeah, okay, yeah, that's cool." And, and like, college ball wasn't even on your radar then. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I was obviously super pumped, you know, being that young. Uh, yeah, like we went out and uh, toured the school, and I was just so anxious. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I want to commit here. I want to commit here." And my dad was the one that had to be like, "All right, just slow down. Like, you know, you're still young. Just relax." But yeah, I mean, it was exciting getting my first offer for sure. Oh, of course. So we have we have this weird era of specialization. Like you know, we have openers for pitchers now. Uh, everything's yeah. matchup based. How in the hell did you become a switch hitter in today's uh, game? It's kind of funny. I was actually I was I think I was 11 years old or 12. I was just at the field uh, taking BP with my dad, and he was like, "Yeah, screw it, just try hitting lefty." So I took a few swings and apparently he saw something in it and he was like yeah no just keep doing it and i i was like yeah i don't really want to like you know it's just it was just uncomfortable <laughs> yeah no he just like kept making me do it every day and then i kind of grew to like it and yeah i guess it just kind of worked out how do you how do you even like how do you even practice that do you have to split like time on each side of the plate every practice or like yeah it's pretty nice actually because i get to hit i get uh twice as many rounds as everybody else because I got to go lefty and then come back in and go righty. Well, that's nice. Yeah, it was nice. That's really nice. Your dad just knew something you didn't at a young age. Just like, yeah, hey, you don't need to recruit. You don't need to jump on Xavier. You should hit from the left side. Guys should just follow you through the bigs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, all right. Well, let's go ahead and talk about dad. Uh, dad was a catcher in the Reds organization, played ball for a little bit. What's the best advice that he's given you so far besides, hey, slow down and let's look at other schools? Yeah, um, I would say the best advice he's given me was probably just, uh, you know, he told me last year, he just said, kind of reiterating that at some point in this game, like, everybody's going to want to quit. And that's when, you know, that's what separates who makes it and who doesn't. So just keep pushing no matter what. And uh, he always tells me, he always tells me, uh, if you're going through hell, keep going. So, um, yeah, and then at the same time, he just says, you got to find a way to make it fun every day. So it's it's yeah. funny because I was watching because you know we always pull up video and actually when you were recruited, I called my mom. I was like, "This is gonna be big," you know. And I pulled up, pulled up video for her. She was like, "Does that batting stance like remind you of anybody?" I was like, "Maybe." It's so funny because if you look at side by side of you and Michael Young's batting stance and like approach of the plate, it's identical, and that's a pretty big compliment because he is an absolute oh, really? Texas legend. Oh, appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, I mean, he obviously he was Texas for a long time. Speaking of Texas, how did you end up at Texas? Obviously, you're a young kid still, so your journey's not 25 years, and you're bouncing around from league to league. But you were gonna go to that small school that no one remembers the name of, 
And then you were going to go to this academy that also no one's ever heard of. And you're from New Hampshire. So you do all those things and you end up in Austin, Texas, which is one of the funnest, most happening live towns probably in, in the whole country. Oh, yeah. How, how'd your journey take you there? Um, well, I, uh, you know, I was committed to Virginia Tech when I was when I was a sophomore or junior. And I just kind of kind of started feeling like I really don't want to have any regrets in this uh, process. Because I was so young, it was like I never got to look down south or out west or anything. So I just kind of, yeah, really, I just didn't want to have any regrets. So I decommitted, and then I just made a list of the schools that I wanted to look at that I, you know, had never seen. And uh, I made a video with um, Ryan Leahy. He's a Northeast Angel Scout who runs a kind of a recruiting clinic in uh, Mass. And he knew somebody from Texas, so he sent the video, and then. I went down and uh, just kind of toured the school. And then, yeah, they just made an offer. And I committed about a week later. I mean, yeah, that's pretty let's, awesome. Let's be real here. Blacksburg or Austin? Oh, okay. Austin, hands down. Oh, hands yeah. Down. I mean, that's, that's a no. But Austin's one of the – there's not many places that can really compete with it as from yeah. sports or just, just living there. So, obviously, you grew up a Yankee fan. You still are a Yankee fan. And, yes, obviously, when you get drafted and all that fun stuff later in your life, you're, everyone's going to be like, you're going to tell everyone, yeah, I'm not a baseball fan. I'm just – I'm a baseball fan. I'm not a Yankee fan. I'm, I'm loving yeah. life. But you're a Yankee guy. We know that. And from your tape, from descriptions and everything like that, and from you growing up, it seems like you defensively look like Jeter almost in the aspect of going left to right, being good with the glove, kind of taking pride in that. Is defense like the thing that you hold yourself the highest standard to? Is it switch hitting? Is it being, you know, a contact guy? What what is it describes you as a baseball player if someone's come to say, hey, what's the best thing about you as a baseball player? Uh, yeah, I think I kind of um, take pride in my defense, especially just because uh, coming, like, you know, developing through high school, I kind of realized that I actually, like, enjoy defense more than hitting, which most kids don't. But, yeah, so I just found a – spot where I was uh I guess a spot where I thrived and I just worked on my defense a lot and yeah I just have a lot of fun on defense and then hitting I just kind of I try to have tough at bats and just put the ball in play well when I was when I was describing you to Dave I said that he's one of the quickest lateral guys that I've ever seen like you have instincts that are just absolutely ridiculous and it's it's probably definitely my favorite thing besides watching you switch hit I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, defense is important. I mean, sorry, Austin. No, you're good. You're good. No, I was going to say defense is important. It's a lost art. I mean, I'm a big defensive guy. I'm a big special teams guy in sports. And you see it more and more with launch angle. You see guys like Joey Gallo down there in Texas specifically. And you see some of those other guys on these teams that can't play the field for anything but can close their eyes and swing. And there's yeah. still a spot for the Billy Hamiltons, the Brock Holtz, and I mean, you need to do that, and it's good that a younger guy like yourself, obviously we're all kind of young here, but you're a baby. So the fact yeah. that you can go out there and say, hey, listen, like, I'm a great hitter, I'm a switch hitter, you know, I got great vision at the plate, but I also like defense. I think that's something that scouts and pro teams are going to, like, fall in love with. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I feel like every kid kind of wants to just be, like, the power guy that, you know, hits bombs and whatever, but I think I just, I'm starting to figure out what my game really is, and I don't want to try and be something that I'm not. So... Yeah, I just I take pride in my defense. 
It's like everybody wants to be Gallo. Nobody wants to be Omar Vizquel when we need Omar Vizquel in the game. Yeah, exactly. So you got to play in the orange-white game. That's pretty pretty awesome. I mean, I'm sure it doesn't mean anything to Dave, but it's one of the coolest times of the year. What was that like to be able to play in the dish like that? Uh, It was pretty crazy. I mean, just like putting on that uniform for the first time was like surreal. Because, you know, I've always felt like it was so far away, and then it was like, boom, it's finally there, so... Yeah, it was pretty awesome, you know, getting in front of some fans and like a real game situation for the first time at UT was pretty pretty cool. I, there's nothing like the the atmosphere in the dish during a regular season game. Like you'll you'll love it, I promise. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure I will. All right, so we have a couple more. Uh, we've already pretty much talked about what comes easiest to you, and we think that's defense. What's been the hardest thing to learn baseball wise growing up? Um, yeah, I'd have to say learning to hit lefty. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. Because I started, my first, like, season hitting lefty was when I was 12. And, I mean, I did pretty well because I had, I had the drop 10 bat and I was still in the small diamond. And uh, and then it was like, I was still learning and they put me on the 90-foot diamond with a wood bat. And I was just getting frustrated because I couldn't get the ball out of the infield hitting lefty. So, yeah, I mean, it, it took years and years to even get close to being comfortable. What, um, you know, what's the end goal here? Obviously end goal. Where do you want to play position wise? Exactly. Cause you can play the entire infield for being honest. Yeah. If you, if you could pick a position in the batting order and a position on the field, if a scout said, Hey, listen, you're going to get drafted by the Yankees tomorrow. Congratulations. What, what do you want to do? What would you tell them? Uh, honestly, like, I mean, ideally, I'd I'd want to play short or second, but I honestly I I like playing defense in general. So I like I'd love to learn a new position and play wherever they want me to play. But yeah, I think in the batting order, I'd say I'm probably like a two or five guy. It's a good spot to be. Those are good spots to be, and honestly, like that's like the PR answer, which is yeah, I want to learn anything. But <laughs> it honestly, it honestly sounds like you legitimately mean it because. Like you said, you like defense, so you said yeah. second or short. Very tough defensive positions, obviously, but it doesn't seem like you'd be opposed to being like a Bellinger guy and be like, hey, we need you out in center field today. Or, hey, you know, Chris Taylor oh, yeah. type or Whit Merrifield. And honestly, that was my favorite part of playing sports, and it was back then, still is now. It's just going out there and playing defense and trying to shut down either a defender or an area on the field. And, you know, teams are going to love that. And it's, I mean, UT is going to love that. I mean, you guys are a good team. I think Austin and I were talking about before. What'd you say, Austin? Uh, I think the 14th keys. just came out, 14th in the collegiate America, collegiate baseball uh, poll. Yeah, like so a top 15 oh, yeah. team in the country. I mean, you're going to be in the College World Series. I mean, 99% oh, chance. Really? Yeah, I think you guys will be. I mean, I mean you got to <laughs> compete with good teams down there, like TCU and stuff like that. But I mean, it's good to see, and I'm sure you're going to bounce around, especially when your coaches hear this, and they're like, wow, this guy, this kid's great. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Yeah. How's, how's Coach Pierce? Is he a personality, or is he just the normal coach-speak kind of guy? No, yeah, he's he's awesome. I like Coach Pierce a lot. Uh, really, the whole coaching staff is good. They, they uh, you know, they get close to their players. They try to figure out, uh, you know, who you are and where you fit best in the field, and yeah, just uh, they're good. So we talked about this before we started recording, but I want to make sure everybody knows this. During the offseason, they were basically having you lift weights, but y'all were also in the field getting sprayed with hoses. It was yeah. it was 
some of the weirdest coaching that I've ever seen in my life. But yeah, that was it's basically just team building stuff. Like they divide they divide our whole team into separate groups, and it's like a big competition. And they just try to see, you know, who can come together the best and uh, win. They just say, you know, find a way to win no matter what, whether you're getting sprayed in the face with water or whatever. <laughs> like I'll, I'll i'll show dave the video after it, it's actually pretty funny it's pretty funny yeah. when you're not getting sprayed with water but yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's gonna be a lot funner to watch than do i'm sure but <laughs> how do yeah. you feel so obviously when you're at the academy you were living there correct yes so how does it feel to go from a high school level a living atmosphere to a college living atmosphere which is obviously for those at home who never did that it's very fun and it's very overwhelming at times. How do you feel being with the team, and you're going to be with the team for basically every second of your life until you decide to move on from baseball and or graduate or both? Does that excite you? Are you a guy that likes to keep to yourself? Are you ready to kind of just be with the boys all the time, just be buzzing around campus? Kind of explain to us like how you feel just about the whole you know unity of the team and the living situation. I mean, you know, I love my teammates. Like, I've made some really good friends down there so i mean yeah we're together all the time basically i mean i live with two of the guys so yeah i mean it's nice i mean sometimes it's nice to be alone obviously because you're with them so much but yeah i mean it's good all right let's talk yankees a little bit what are they doing like is there are they gonna wind <laughs> up with machado like you you got jay hab back so that's kind kind of exciting i guess i mean they're trying to fill out that rotation a little bit more but yeah, like what's what's the goal? Is the goal Machado? Uh, honestly, I got no idea. I just kind of every like about once a week, I'll just ask my dad, "Hey, we got Harper or Machado yet?" <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it'll be really good no matter what. So yeah, so yeah. I mean, hundred one baseball team last team. year. Yeah, probably will be close to it again. I mean, mostly that division will be so. Obviously, you know the Red Sox won the World Series. Obviously, Yankees played very well. Uh-huh. When <laughs> uh, yeah. That was a very that was a very like, yeah, we know get on with it here. <laughs> you kind of just alluded to it a little bit. The older you get and the more seriously into your baseball career that you get into, are you caring less and less about what's going on outside your world? Um like like major league wise basically. Yeah, like major league wise. Like do you really care like as it goes on? Like like you said you call your dad once a week, but hey, what's going on with this and that? Like was it like that when you were growing up or you were you like me or in Austin where it was just like, Oh wow, free agent watcher, this guy's going here or oh man, the roster's got updated on my PlayStation game. Let me go check it out and see the <laughs> Um, I was never like I was never like that into it, I guess. I right. mean, um I would watch the game like whenever they were on and you know, still every every time they play during the season I wake up and wake up next morning and watch their highlights on YouTube with a game. Yeah. game to see it. But yeah, I mean, I just, honestly, I just want to see him beat the Red Sox this year. <laughs> so here's, here's the thing, right? You'll never be as out of the loop as one of our guests. We had Tommy Eveld on, uh, Marlon's pitching prospect. And we were like, you know, your slider kind of reminds us of Severino. And he was like, who's that? And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> we were sitting there just baffled. He's like, I don't really watch baseball. And I was like, that's, that kind of blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah, but and I and I told I told him then and I told Austin too. I went to URI over here in Rhode Island, and they got a they got a solid baseball program over here, and I had a lot of friends on the team, and half of them legit like I they couldn't tell you who was in like who was good, who was bad that year, 
what pitcher was doing well. It could have been like, yeah, are the Rays still in it? Or are they in the race? It's like, dude, they won 30 games this year. It's like, oh, I heard they're going to be okay this year. Honestly, guys just kind of get into that mode where it's just like, well, my baseball career is more important than other guys, you know? Yeah. 